welcome to today's episode of Conscious Design Podcast. Today with me is Peter, Polymer Engineering Lead from Carbon Upcycling, based in Calgary, Alberta. They're a interesting company with working on how to use all the carbon that we've been putting out for a long time. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how what is your process what's what do you do what do you capture obviously carbon but kind of what's what is your technology that makes what you're doing unique Mm -hmm. i I like to open with maybe just taking a few step backs and talk about why we got started as a company i think that shapes itself quite well so carbon upcycling is a startup organization based in calgary alberta canada uh, with a, we're about a team of seven full-time employees and been around for about seven years with really the vision of transforming the waste of today into sustainable materials for the future. And, you know, it's that statement that got us thinking uh, almost like the modern day garbage man of like, what is the things that people don't want the most and that we could aim to repurpose them and find a new home. And of course, at the genesis of the company, it started with CO2, the massive problem, which now I think we're seeing uh, ever so increasing impact of climate change and the increasing amount of CO2 in our atmospheres, such as like the recent floods in, uh, you know, the BC area. Um, so what our process and what we, why we're so different as a company is that we devised our core patented technology, which allows us to very efficiently utilize carbon dioxide. And so what we do is we take two industrial wastes. So one would be various types of different types of industrial waste in the form of a powder. And then the second being the gaseous CO2 that otherwise would have been emitted to the atmosphere. And instead of using them in conventional storage methods, for example, injecting them deep underneath the earth in aquifers or in salt domes and stably kind of storing them, we utilize it and we stably transform this into a additive product, which, you know, I like to say we sell powders as a company, uh, but it's a performance additive that not only decreased the use uh, of carbon intensive materials at the end application, but also has directly sequestered CO2. And so uh, it's when we think about the end application that really differentiates our company against uh, some of the other groups in the space. So there are groups that converts carbon dioxide into fuels and transforming the sustainable aviation industry into different types of plastics and chemicals. And we primarily started our key focus in the concrete and construction sector. And so our enhanced fly ash additives, what we call, is a product that allows double digit reduction in the use of cement, which per kilogram of cement produced, you emit one kilogram of CO2. And not only that- a terrible material. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, we've been using, um, we've been using it since like forever. Uh, You know, the the columseums are built from it, you know, and and there's probably going to be more and more cement demanded as we aim to rapidly urbanize, uh, you know, the entire world. And, you know, as buildings degrades, and for example, I think there's actually a renovation infrastructure regulation or bill passed in the EU about 
renovating and and so you know you're going to have to use more building materials there so it's really um we haven't found a good alternative to cement and so right. you know the, the pathway that we've been proposing is like okay we still have to use it so let's see what we could displace out and so what we've done now with our tech is actually shown that not only you're realizing double digit reduction in cement but also you're getting up to anywhere from 20 to about 50% increase in performance in the form of mechanical properties. And so what that means, you could build stronger buildings, you could uh, you know, reduce possibly the aggregates and or cements you're using, and overall create a more wholesome product that has a lower carbon overall life cycle uh, carbon emission product. And so that's kind of one area, and of course, you know, my role is to kind of replicate that same um, a value proposition and, you know, to introduce some of our high-performance plastic additive to replicate the same thing, creating more sustainable plastics, using innate, encouraging the use of more and more post-consumer recycled materials and enabling the creation of thinner wall parts. So we're using less virgin materials. Mm. So you're because of your additive, you're able to increase the strength of the material basically and allow less, less overall material to be used in general, but also replacing some of that virgin material with, with your additive, which means you're using even less plastics. That's right. And in, in some scenarios, we, we can actually, like the amount of captured carbon dioxide onto your end product, like let's say for a pen, for example, is pretty significant. So like we, this year, uh, we developed a product, uh, a natural rubber yoga mat, where we're embedding about 40% of our talc additive, which is kind of a white powder readily used in the plastics industry. And now because of that displacement, we've actually encapsulate anywhere about seven to 8% of CO2 carbon dioxide that otherwise would have been emitted to the atmosphere directly onto the mat. So it's kind of exciting where, you know, on one perspective, you're um, displacing the carbon intensive materials, but the more you do it, the more actually the directly captured materials also goes into the end product. Got it. And so kind of jumping back to your process, you know, when you're starting how, how you get to your material, you're, you're taking two ways. So your, your focus is really in working on you know, existing factories, say you have your you know, whatever production plant, you're able to collect straight from the pollution source, basically, rather than trying to wait, wait for it to go somewhere else, you're capturing it immediately and then being able to process that into some other usable product. Is that, was I following that right? Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly in the plastic space, that picture is much more complicated, uh, but okay. that is what we're doing as a group. We're looking to tie in our technologies into strategically placed geographies that were located, mm. you know, co-located with the waste streams, right? Because also one of the biggest impact we found is, you know, how much more transportation would add to the end product and how much worse <laughs> transport right. transport additional steps of transportation makes your product worse in terms of the life cycle impact. So what we do is, uh, you know, our technology is 
sort of like a small plant, if you will. It's a reactor and it occupies a certain footage of area and we don't use any water. And what we like to do is actually mm. tie that down downstream of a plant. So for example, on our construction materials plant, um, we look at the integration of our technology into pre-existing cement plant or batch mixing plants. In either cases, those are the materials that ultimately uh, could potentially go into a ready-mix truck, one of those rolling cement trucks on the road. Right. And so we're a step that proceeds before that. And that's how the materials gets integrated. So that way, you know, we could look at integrating uh, some of the waste on site, for example, um, the CO2 emitted from the creation of cement. Sometimes facilities do have an integrated unit like that. And otherwise finding those uh, key geographic waste sources, you know, either immediately downstream or close to, so that way uh, everything could kind of tie, be tied all together versus like what you mentioned, like, you know, your multiple steps removed from it. We like to be as close to the existing steps without introducing uh, too many processing steps as possible. Um, right. However, on the plastic side, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. I'm not sure if, uh, uh, I, I like to think like the modern day consumer has a good understanding of plastics, but I learned the other day, like even look at, we look at our technical ski jackets, right? There's about parts that comes from roughly about 100 to 200 different suppliers that came all together that made that jacket. And so that just kind of sort of goes to show how, you know, messed up and probably distributed the supply chain is. And mm -hmm. that's sort of where the complication comes in. And so for some of our work, even on the industrial side is um, we create our additive, we sell our additive to a compounder, which mixes them into a carrier resin. You could think of it like a juice concentrate. That's the way to efficiently uh, introduce your material you're buying concentrate you letting it down into water uh to to get orange juice so so think of like our materials like we create the orange juice concentrate and then we sell it to our customers in the injection molding world uh, which then lets it down and create the final product mm. with the specification with the right type of material blends and and that's a very idealistic world and oftentimes there's <laughs> additional processes along the way. Uh, sometimes there's some transport across the world. And even in, you know, projects we embark on in the cosmetic world, there's the filling of the cosmetic, which, you know, you have your package that now goes somewhere else in the world possibly. And so right. it's really, really involved from, from start to finish. Right. Well, that's a good, good point. You know, the the transportation of the material, right? If you make a super green alternative, but you undo it all by how much you have to transport it to someone, then it kind of it kind of ends up not being uh, what you what you were hoping for in the end. It's not, yeah. not producing the actual result <laughs> that you you wanted to do. So that's it, it's good to see you guys are thinking about it and thinking through that as well. Of just even just being aware of okay, yeah, let's let's think about transportation and how do we not drive it around so much that the truck puts off more CO2 than we just saved. Right. And, uh, and surprisingly, it's a much harder problem, right? Because we look at the global supply chain, I think for concrete and constructions, okay, because it's local, right? 
like you know you always have local projects and vendors and local subsidiaries of large multinationals uh, but then you look at plastics which you know it's been heavily commoditized oftentimes a lot of production has been sourced overseas and then so uh, you know from one perspective is interesting because we now have to look at exporting our technology you know to tie it down there so we're not shipping powder from Calgary to Asia and then to only ship the part back to Calgary. <laughs> right, nobody wants that. Yeah, right. So it, it's kind of interesting. And of course, with like the political dynamics of how automation is going and you know, folks are actually taking manufacturing back to uh, North America. And, you know, so there, there's a bit to consider there, but it's uh, it's a complicated game. <laughs> Right. And, and yeah, we talked a little bit, you're, part of your role is helping with the application, right? Because you have this core technology of we can collect CO2 and make it useful. It, now, you guys, so you guys partner with companies almost and, and help produce kind of a custom product almost for each application. Is there any areas where you, you haven't been able to use it? Is there like any, any limits you found to what, <laughs> what CO2 is possible or is it, or is it so far been, you know, like, well, we can always, there's always something to do with it because it's so useful. Yeah. I think this is really where uh, we're limited by our imaginations. I think this year alone, we've done about 16 very distinctive product applications. I would like to say, you know, the one limitation we've definitely seen is uh, color limitations because, you know, our flagship product is a black powder. So forget right. about any kind of like RGB you got. If you, you want something blue, it doesn't work. But, you know, what we're developing now is also a white additive. So then, you know, it does allow you to still work with a blank canvas and to uh, apply the appropriate kind of color alterations to, to realize that. So from a right. chrono, chrono, <laughs> chronotography kind of a perspective, <laughs> there's some limits, right. but uh, in terms of the application itself, like I think we've done tremendous work. Like I mentioned before, we've done a lot of work in concrete, both industrial and consumer. Uh, we've done quite a bit of work on construction materials for plastics, uh, rigid packaging, flexible packaging in the form of different types of films for various applications, um, really, really neat industrial parts uh, where, where it actually demands the performance aspects. Um, rubber yoga mats, rubber tires, we've used our materials in paints, pigments, and dyes. So creating mm -hmm. different type of artistic product, which, you know, you can actually find some of them on our consumer facing page expedition air today, where we've launched a artist in residence program about a year and a half ago, I think, give or take, where we've now working with the artists and our chemists developed bespoke solutions, such as, you know, oil-based paint, water-based paints, uh, and just mm -hmm. give them, you know, here's a portfolio of carbon capture materials, you know, where could you see it being used? And some of them got really creative, like creating crayons with our materials, uh, different types of nice. um, inverted 
color paintings using the black. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> yeah. and like, you know, they even made dyes for screen printing on t-shirts, which is an area we're collaborating uh, with a few large brands on because it's really simple, right? You could simply um, you know, partially or fully substitute the pigments you're using today just to see how it performs. And mo in most case scenarios, we found that it performed just as well. And, you know, here's a healthy low carbon solution that was derived from waste that you could use in an existing application. So uh, there, there's quite a range full. And of course, like there's also the other extreme where we're now, uh, we've been looking for the past, at least I'd say like three to four years, looking at even the use of our materials in pharmaceutical applications in as a drug drug delivery carrier, uh, recognizing that different types of nanomaterials of different shapes, dimensions, and chemistry have a good and or bad impact on cell viability or you know how fast or quick cells die. And so even exploring you know how graphitic or carbon capture materials could be used in modern day drug delivery. So it's really quite a range and we try to really push it out there. <laughs> That's, which is awesome. I mean, everything from pharmaceuticals to construction to pigments and you're, you're kind of covering covering the bases on that. Um, All you... sectors of the s and <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, and, yeah. You're... And I think like that, I mean, it shows sort of maybe perhaps our resourceful approach, but I think, you know, uh, the, the, the problem becomes like there's definitely more than enough co2 to go around for everyone and uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been, and we've of been course, putting out plenty <laughs> and like to be like in the ipcc report like it, it's very clear from several years ago that to be carbon negative you don't get away you you can't get to where we need to get to simply by planting trees like there's already enough in circulation right so right, right. And even if we had all the land which is you know another consideration on um, sustainability like mm -hmm. you can't put enough trees out there so you need actually utilization processes to do that right and there's different methods and approach and it, it's there's no one solution that fits the puzzle and we're just trying to make this versatile and accessible and and sort of in a way almost like like democratizing uh <laughs> carbon utilization solutions for everyone um and making them accessible so that people could try and play and realize that there's a, a you know an affordable or a fit of a solution for them that they could play around and experiment and ultimately use in a way they feel that it's impactful right or I think that that's part of it, right? Is just showing people it's possible, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's one thing to be like, oh, carbon's great, and we use it in lots of things, and we also, you know, spew it into the air. And it's a different thing to say, oh, well, I, we've captured some of that and we've turned it into a product that you can use, and now you're you're painting with <laughs> with it right now. Here you go. Have have some colors. Here you go. It works exactly. So, yeah. It's it's that shift which is great that you get. That's what you guys are working on is is showing showing you know we can do this. We can we can apply it to all these different areas and and I like your point too. There's plenty of CO two to go around. 
Like we can we can capture it. It's not you're you're not going to use all that we're producing uh, anytime soon by yourself. So it's it's mm -hmm. uh, something long term that we should be definitely. Right? I mean, there's there's a lot of great alternative technologies and complementary technologies. You know, like today we're tied downstream of uh, the Alberta Carbon Conversion ca Capture Conversion Technology Center, which is you know, next door to a large power plant, you know, it generates about 800 megawatts of electricity to, serving about a third of to the city of Calgary. But, mm. you know, like what happens if you have a boiler at your house, right? Like, and, and you know, like there's a side or scale mismatch, but, you know, I think that's goes to show it's like, there are technologies out there that ties it in. For example, like one of our favorite soap companies, Clino too, they're also a local company. Uh, their technology ties into a boiler and they create um, what, what they call perlite. Um, I think that's, <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm misspelling their technology, but then that gets converted into uh, bespokely crafted soaps. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a different way of utilizing CO2. And so it, it once again, it kind of goes to show like the diversity of sources of where it comes from, how much, and really it's, there's a lot of it. So, um, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, what is your, I, what are your long-term, is there any long-term we'd really like to, I, I don't know, make some carbon nanotubes out of this. So there's, is there, is there like a long-term goal with like what, you guys are trying to do besides you know democratizing it is there any any areas you're really trying to push into or or develop that that you could share mm -hmm. yeah i think from a vision perspective we've as a group we were setting our target to be the most impactful carbon utilization company of the century or rather decade <laughs> <laughs> amazing the century is a little bit long but decade i think this is this you never is know like, <laughs> but i mean like this decade is really going to be the turning point of you know how we aim to get started and transition and to reach our targets of net zero right um but definitely some of our longer term work is that we i think quite a few times we like to make ourselves obsolete and challenge our assumptions behind the work and always striving to uh, put a lot of R&D efforts, whether that's, you know, collaboratively with our network of university partners or like internally to look at new technologies. And so one of the areas I'm really excited about and quite baffled by is now, you know, today we made an additive that helps move the dial or at least begin the conversation on creating more sustainable performance-based composites. But then going into tomorrow is we still need to change uh, the basic material itself, the resin, right? That makes up your pens and everything around you. And like, there's lots of great work that's already going around the industry, like people making polyethylene from sustainable corn, for example. There's folks that's making nylon inconvenient in comparison to the convention, they're using castor oil, which is, you know, a more renewable source. And so there's chemical mm -hmm. recycling. So we're starting to see the, the shift towards um, 
the more circular economy aspect, especially in the plastic sector, which gets scrutinized incredibly a lot. Um, yes. and, and like, I wonder sometimes if it's almost too, too much because like we recognize like, hey, microplastics is a huge challenge, but it, it's also an interesting opportunity to look at it. It's like, hey, like, could we start creating designs um, that addresses that. I think there's a lot of, um, I think end of life is going to be more interesting than actually start of life kind of going forward. Because I think yeah. in Europe, they just released some more regulations on encouraging folks in the agriculture sector to use films that are biodegradable rather than the ones that are not. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But then if you look at uh, overall how materials become sustainable is through reusing right i think like one of the interesting examples like well-made leather bags that gets passed down for generations like you could almost say like the life cycle impact of that is almost zero because it's been extensively used so many times and so it's like designing highly recyclable materials that has good performance and it doesn't degrade over time and it's consistent for the recyclers all the way back to the processors uh, that's what we're working on as one of the you know high importance projects on designing re- highly recyclable plastics that meets function form demand today but also going forward and possibly even making that partially if not fully out of co2 uh, so that's something exciting that's probably causing me to lose a lot of sleep and hair <laughs> not that I had much to begin with um, but really it, it's I see the industry it's almost like like we're looking at two extremes right one was that aspect I just talked about like highly recyclable materials and and then the other is like you want highly biodegradable materials so you know you look at um, right. garbage bags uh, and, and you throw that into your black bins that get carried away and if that is truly non-recyclable fully disposable garbage you want it to degrade um, and right. then on the right. other stream if it's very pure and it's uniform you want it to be highly recyclable and non-contaminated and be introduced to recycle but then here's all the stuff in the middle uh, which like I have a hard time grasping right like you know look at for example um you know small widgets like like your iphone chargers like how do you make that like i honestly don't know but um yeah i don't i don't know either like do people because people would throw this out in their black bins and so it's like oh yeah what's the right way to do that um and so like those are kind of interesting things we think about where it's like hey maybe there's very interesting um molecular biology we can incorporate into this for example like using um extremophiles which is a type of bacteria that could handle extreme conditions like you know thermophiles as the name imply would could tolerate up to certain heat and so maybe the thinking is like hey we genetically modify these so that it it's designed to break down a certain material with a certain lifespan and each year it degrades without impacting its form. And of course it could withstand all these harsh conditions. And by the intended design life at the end, it's a material that's almost biodegradable. It's a thought, we honestly don't know, but the, the stuff in the middle is I think what really keeps us up at night. So, 
you know, one key area of focus, as mentioned before, is actually using CO2 to create highly recyclable materials. And we're really, really excited about that. And then the other one, which is like, what's happening here in the middle? And could we now actually look at different types of molecular biology techniques that were used in the past for various areas of that other applications, right? Like conversions to fuels, people use um, microbes for that uh, conversion, converting from, um, you know, CO2 and other types of sources and creating biodegradable plastics, um, they also use microbes. And so now like looking the stuff in the middle, it's like, well, what if you don't want it to be fully biodegradable, but still somewhat recyclable with certain features. And, right. you know, it's almost kind of like you're piecing Legos together, except each <laughs> Lego block is from a discipline of science or engineering. Right. Um, so that becomes pretty exciting. So that was a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, it's funny you mentioned like the whole longevity part too, because we also, I think we don't always think about that as much anymore either. Is like, well, what if we, what if we want that material to actually last a hundred years? What if, what if we don't, we're not as worried about, and maybe it's, maybe it's a triangle, maybe it's, biodegradable recyclable and and last forever without dam without damaging things so not not microplastics but you know some other form because there's there's also that balance of like you said well the impact of that leather bag that's handed down through generations well that's that's such a long time whatever whatever impact it did have in the beginning it's been spread out over its useful life, right? And how long mm -hmm. is something actually useful for? And I think that's something that, that kind of plays into this. And what you mentioned is that we got to think about that as well. Like how long do we want it to last? What is, how are we spreading that, whatever that impact is, right? Over time, right? That's, that's part of it as well, right? If we make a huge impact all at once, and then we throw it away. Well, it's not very, it's not very mm -hmm. useful. That right? That's a that's a heavy impact. Whereas a long life cycle makes that not actually as as big of an impact. So I guess yeah, it's it's a great point. I, like years ago, I had this thought, and I watched like I get called out on this is completely wrong. Like I think there's several literatures that talks about like how over the life cycle EVs are actually no greater than fossil fuel burning cars like for mm. example ones that runs efficient because of cobalt lithium mining and so and so like when you talk about like you you plot it against time it really looks like a big sharp shoot and then like it rapidly flattens out and you know all you have to do is charge it you don't have to do too, too much right versus a fossil fuel car might go up in like a steady ramp way it jumps up from the manufacturing of the car and it, it ramps per kilometers of fuel uh, you drive right. which leads to fuels you burn right and like the duration to which uh emissions comes in it's kind of an interesting one because uh, exactly to the point you're mentioning it's like do you want longer but more mellowed impact <laughs> or a sharper one and this, in this case, like the impact being like negative, right? And right. and like part of this journey has to go uh, go back to the consumers, which is why uh, 
expedition era, our consumer facing brand got started because there was a lot of uh, myths or education we found ourselves had to do mm-hmm. to, to teach the consumers about like, you know, what's carbon? How do you use this? How do we transform this powder into something useful? What, is, what does it mean? And Yeah. And then making it tangible, but also like encouraging people it's like you as an end consumer have the power to, you know, ultimately everything comes down to the consumers, right? You have the power, the purchasing power to make a decision on how you aim to leave an impact. Um, and, and so even to, to, I think there's like these really interesting clothing trading upcycling programs. I think Patagonia has got one where you like donate your old clothing um, mm-hmm. and they try to like restitch a bunch of things together oh, and I've they, heard they about resell that. it. Um, and, and then it's like, you know, to, to a normal consumer, it's like, oh, geez, like why would I want to buy used stuff? right like I think these are like interesting questions right it's like how do you know it's washed properly I might go home and wash it again right and and so I'll say I'm the person that washes all clothing I get (laughs) new or otherwise I don't I know what manufacturing is so new is not as new as you think (laughs) (laughs) that's so anyway side note right uh and, and it's like I think of it in terms of okay so you purchase that um, and what if like one day you don't like it, then do you trade it back and do someone like disassemble it and try to assemble another pattern with it? And so like, this is why, like, I think end of life and like maybe the repurposing mm. re what's the word I'm looking for? Like reinvigorating is interesting. And right. Yeah. So like, and, and making that as efficient as possible. Um, I think that is a really intriguing problem um but maybe just as exciting as about as you know in compared to like new chemistries starting from the scratch and having a good building block versus like how do you disassemble everything right it's like i think of it as an engineer it's like you know you could disassemble mechanical devices fix it put it back and it's just as good as new it's much more difficult to do that to chemical processes. And, and those are some of our problems I think about. It's like, how do we address that? Right? We have this performance filter in here. Could we effectively remove that one day? Um, and I don't know, take it somewhere else. Like people do that in the tire industry for, uh, for you know, there's a lot of carbon black introduced into car tires, for example. That's why car tires are black and that's also why they're durable. But right recovering that takes a lot of money and it economically and it just doesn't make sense but you know if someone did make that happen like that would be really really cool and I think that same analogy applies to pretty much anything right yeah well yeah that's a good point it's it's how do you reinvigorate or get back out the value that's still there because nothing you know, almost nothing is ever completely used up, right? There's mm-hmm. always, you use the tire till the treads down to, you know, the wear bar. And then you, you still have most of the tire. Like that's, you've only, the yeah. overall mass of the tire, right? You've only used, I guess it'd be like 10%, maybe, maybe probably more like five or 3%. <laughs> Cause there's really not that much material. It's, it's like the smallest amount of it. So now you have all that 
the the molecules the, the atoms are fine like there's there's nothing wrong with with the the compounds in it it's just not enough form so how do you how do you re-extract or refurbish or reinvigorate mm-hmm. in some in some way which i think yeah. it's that's an interesting place to be focusing on because it's i agree it's probably probably the worst area for us like we're really good at creating things that are new and shiny and then right. we don't know what to do <laughs> with, with it after we use it once we're like oh well it's not shiny anymore so yeah i don't know I- it's a really hard problem I find like even to the exact same example right like there are retreading services to which you know exactly as the name implies the tire gets retreaded I think a lot of this actually implies to industrial vehicles we probably don't do it uh, and tires gets recycled um, you know there's like steel fibers and things like that that gets like recovered and right. then like you're left with this black rubber and and we've actually bought like used car tire materials and you know mixed it in together with recycled plastic to make hardware for organization in the uk um to show it's like you could use it but i think maybe like the longer kind of consequence is like we hope people don't throw this away in the municipal garbage because (laughs) like you know it's got 50 percent fillers and you know a good chunk of rubber in it um it's supposed to help get people thinking about the story but like right you know it's also teaching people how to uh, an alternative way of using industrial waste and so this is what we get a lot is just people coming at us with a lot of weird things and we try to think of you know chemistries or kind of areas of applications to which we could use the industrial waste perhaps one day having like an e-commerce platform where you know people get to trade waste and truly like one man's treasure is another one's garbage or perhaps i said it wrong it's the other way either way it it works out yeah yeah but that's awesome well this is this has been super great chatting with you and, and learning about this is there for anybody that's really wanting to find out if their trash can be used in something and and actually turned into a product um or you know, who knows, maybe you can, you can find somebody's industrial waste and, and another person and combine it, um, be the, be the matchmaker, right? Between, uh, <laughs> you can't use it, but we can, uh, which is great. We need more of that. I, I think, uh, I, I think I gave the example of like, uh, waste material from tequila making is used in sponges now because it's just, just getting burned. So as mm-hmm. we have a lot, we have a lot of material that nobody is <clears throat> thinking in different industries because they, they only use it for what they want and they don't think of the other uses, which is what you guys are, are looking at. Well, you're, <laughs> you have all this stuff you're producing. Uh, it's actually useful, guys. We should use it over here and, and make something useful. So I, how do people get a hold of you in, in wanting to start that journey of making something useful? Uh, I like to think we're generally a pretty easy group to get a hold of. Um, they could visit us at carbonupcycling.com um, where, you know, they could kind of hit contact us. And of course, I'm generally pretty easy to reach. It's just Peter at carbonupcycling.com. That's my email. Uh, of course, if you wanted to check out uh, anything else, like our consumer product work or, you know, possible other ways of using uh, you know, carbon, for example, our consumer 
facing website is expeditionair.today. And uh, they could visit uh, kind of sources from, for example, like the Carbon X Prize um, and the X Prize Foundation's website mm. for some additional information about carbon, carbon utilization and other carbon to value initiatives. Yeah, that, that I keep forgetting that that Carbon X Prize is going on. Like for a, it's few, still a, a few more years is yeah. I think it's a few years out before they'll pick a pick anyone so yeah, yeah. The, the Elon Musk one yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a ways out there it is but we're we're pretty keen to see what what might be like you know who who are the semifinalists and the finalists of that right. competition I mean having been through one it, it you know it's probably quite interesting to actually watch from the sidelines and see <laughs> if people have gotten better than us and you know kind of struggle a little bit less than the stuff that we went through well that would mean you're doing a good job and technology technology is keeping on moving forward which is which is good good for good for everyone mm -hmm. so perfect well I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be here with me and and talk about what you guys are doing and we'll make sure in the note, show notes, we'll have links for everything you just mentioned. That way people can easily get a hold of you guys. And yeah, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Final thoughts? Did you know, here's some facts. Or, or <laughs> well, not, these are not facts, but these are, these are uh, numbers from literature. By 2050, there's going to be more plastics in the ocean than fish. I learned this on a webinar one time. And it's actually just bizarre. And I think it goes to show how perhaps humans and maybe the homo sapien race in general has a tendency to overcorrect itself. <laughs> you know how it's like, yes. like paper, glass, plastic, and then, you know, here's CO2 again. So I think, you know, one day I'm sure there's other big problems that, you know, we'll try to tackle as a human race. And so keep your eyes peeled. I think there's always ways for anyone to pick up and turn up, turn it into a viable business. So I'll leave, I'll leave it off as that. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's perfect ending there. <laughs> Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Ian. <laughs>